0: Hello, welcome to Full Circle with Garland. I'm a leader in the DEI space and have spent 20 years of my career in human resources. I've been having meaningful conversations about career development with my friends and colleagues, many of whom are rarely heard on stages and podcasts. I am excited to bring you their stories each week. I will be sharing how their diverse backgrounds have shaped their work, the lessons in their career highs and lows, and the importance of recognizing the Full Circle moments in life. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this week's interview. Welcome to Full Circle with Garland. Today's special guest is Brandon Ruhl. Uh, Brandon and I had an opportunity to get to know each other through a wonderful new platform called Clubhouse. Um, As I mentioned to you, I had the opportunity to get on Clubhouse late last year and have had a great, it's been a great surprise. Let's just say, you know, you get on social media and sometimes you don't know really anybody that you're going to meet there. And then when you find people that just have common interests, common goals, common ambitions, um, you just realized, wow, this place is actually kind of cool. So Brandon is one of those folks that I met on Clubhouse. And when I met him, I thought, wow, he's doing really amazing things. Um, And I think people should, you know, one, meet him, hear his story, but two, get to know some of the amazing things that he's doing. So, so happy to have you on, Brandon. Uh, Of course. Welcome. Happy to be here. Happy to be here.
1: Um,
0: So... Brandon's background is primarily in um, development, specifically um, real estate development. And so this conversation today is to really get a sense of how he not only got into development, but like what were those things along the way that have either helped propel you forward or just things that have been obstacles. So I'm going to jump right in by talking about, you know, your upbringing, and your family, and how it shaped you into who you are today. So let's talk about your background.
1: Love it. So uh, thank you for having me. You're a phenomenal host. I love sharing this stage with you on Clubhouse and connecting about all the things that uh, we both care about passionately. So uh, yeah, I wanted to start there. Let's see. Um, Starting from the beginning, I think towards the end of the conversation, everyone will have a better understanding around you know, who I am, what I'm doing, and why I'm doing it, most importantly. Um, I come from very humble beginnings, a uh, two-parent household, so I'm very fortunate and acknowledge my privilege there. Um, but my parents are high school sweethearts from Chicago. They moved to Los Angeles shortly thereafter. Uh, so I was born in L.A. And um, we moved from L.A. when I was five uh, because we unfortunately suffered the... Worst natural, disaster, worst natural disaster in American history at the time, which was the Northridge earthquake. So we were living in Northridge, lost everything. Uh, and unfortunately, we, my dad was just like, yo, I'm out, I'm moving back to Chicago. My mom wanted to stay. So my grandfather, my mother's father at the time was living in Milwaukee, which was an hour and a half from Chicago. And uh, because we didn't have a house, home, anything, and we were living on the street for a few days, we just kind of hopped on the train with a few remaining items that we had and moved to Milwaukee. Next thing I know, we're in front of this big white house uh, on the north side of Milwaukee and, um, you know, snow is coming down. I was really confused. Like, oh, hey, mom, what's this stuff coming from the sky? Uh, but ultimately, that was my intro to Milwaukee. From there, uh, we ended up moving into a home temporarily for about uh, two years and then they purchased a home two years later. So they bounced back uh, and that's the home that they still live in to this day. Uh, it's on the south side of Milwaukee, uh, near downtown. And um, my first two projects actually are within a mile and a half of that specific home that I grew up in. So again, we'll get into that. Um, I come from a, a lot of love, but a not, a not a lot of money or finance or financial literacy. Uh, my grandparents were both entrepreneurs. Uh, my parents are entrepreneurs as well now. Um, but my grandfather was uh, a street pharmacist and my other great grandfather was a uh, taxi cab driver. And that kind of gave me uh, grounds and motivation, if you will, to to understand the confidence that I needed that showed that I can be an entrepreneur too, because it was in my blood. So, yeah, that's kind of like super high level background Uh, from Milwaukee. Went through the Milwaukee public school system, attended Marquette University, studied economics, minored in sociology. And uh, yeah, yeah.
0: So I know you're really big on um, giving back and, and helping other people, um, where did those values come from in terms of either your upbringing or just how you move through life to, to realize there, there needs to be an element of uh, paying it forward and giving back?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So my, both of my parents are in service-based interest, industries, if you will. Uh, I tell the story all the time, but my father, he, um, At a young age, probably the birds and the bees time-ish, took me to the side and was just like, hey, you know, um, my dad told me that I needed to be better than him, so you need to be better than me. And that will always stick with me. So um, what that looked like for me was me becoming a doctor. My father was an x-ray technician, and I figured if he was an x-ray technician and I became a doctor, then technically I'm better than him. You know, I was young, who knows? But... (laughs) That was, like, my goal. So I always wanted to, like, be in a service-based industry and give back to folks and be a doctor, essentially. But then I realized um, my mother, she was in community development work. So she was a volunteer for the Neighborhood Association for the last 15 years, the president of the association. And um, the blending of those two and seeing what they were doing really impacted my life uh, and, and gave me the grounds for always, like, doing well, but doing good is, you know, doing good, but also doing well. Um, So when I was in college, I'll give this really brief story. When I was in college, uh, I took chemistry and bio, and it didn't work out very well for me. So I had to switch professions, and then I was like, oh, I'll get into real estate. And when I found about, when I uncovered or discovered, if you will, uh, real estate development and what a developer does, it, it really enlightened three things on me. One, I can help people, which was, you know, Really important to me, obviously. Two, it created generational wealth, but then also three, uh, I had autonomy of my time. You know, I was really able to do what I want, when I want, how I want it, and on my own terms. And that was extremely important for me. So, um, yeah, it it, development provided a vehicle for me to give back, but also uh, check out some of the other boxes that were really important to me as a person.
0: Yeah. So. How did you stumble upon or discover real estate? Because I don't know very many people who in college sometimes knew this is what they always wanted to do. So when did you, how did that come into your life?
1: Yeah, um, the first time that I realized that real estate investing was a thing, my parents actually purchased a foreclosed home in Milwaukee. So a half a block away from where I grew up, bought it for $5,000 from the city. Uh, My dad and I put a lot of work into it. He put most of the work into it, but I assisted him with putting some work into it. And uh, growing up, you know, it's just like, oh, well, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to have real estate properties on the side. Like, that was just the thing to do. I can create wealth. Cool. Um, But then I heard about a program in Milwaukee called the Acre Program, A-C-R-E. And it exposed um, really professionals that were interested in to breaking into the commercial real estate space. and. I ended up applying. I got in. I was, I want to say the youngest acre graduate ever, but that program really enlightened and sparked the brain that then went on the rabbit hole and figured this whole thing out. But, um, yeah, that was, that was how I went to that program and I just saw like, Oh, okay. You know, I had the same question that everyone asked when people say, Oh, you're a developer. What do you do? Uh, do you build the building? And I'm like, no, do you design a building? And I'm like, no, I'm like, well, what do you do? Right. So, Commercial real estate, the Acre program, really exposed me to the role of a developer.
0: Okay. So we're going to use this is perfect segue into what does a developer do? Uh, because <laughs> I think people exactly think exactly what you said. You're building the building or, you know, you're maybe in the deal making behind building the building. But the actual pre-development process, which sometimes is the part that takes the longest that nobody sure. sees. Um, the, the fundraising, the, the making sure that all the parties involved, like it's more deal making and probably transaction um, that maybe because it is invisible, like this is the invisible part of the profession we talk about all the time. Like, you know, why nobody knows who the real estate developer is, is because your name's not on the top of the building, right? Your name is not necessarily even on the, the sign. Maybe it's on the sign. On a small piece of the built, sign right? over here somewhere, maybe, right? yeah. Yeah. So walk me through kind of high-level general pillars. Like, we're not going to get too detailed, but just for someone who they're like, okay, development, what exactly does that mean? What What's sure. that elevator pitch for development?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'll try to break it down as much as I possibly can. So let's see. the The process of developing something, I believe, is taking uh taking land that is currently underutilized whether that be an existing building on a structure and or just vacant land and creating the highest and best use out of it and the while doing that that is essentially a development right so understanding the required uh debt and equity that you have to put in to to finance it you know working with the architects and the Geotechnical um, engineer and environmental engineer and civil engineer and all of these uh service-based um ancillary components of the business to ensure that this is a building that's going to be safe. Um that's a part of it as well. You know, working with the contractor on, you know, identifying the, the overall cost and getting that approved with the appropriate lenders and equity, et cetera balancing that all while um the political component of you know having an idea having an idea and a vision and pitching that to uh a particular municipality or or community group and getting their alignment with it um and ultimately I think I personally take a one step forward because I always try to understand what it is that they want and include that into my vision. I don't try to impose my vision necessarily on them. I try to understand their needs create that alongside of them i see myself more of a liaison if you will between the community and the development professionals so uh the development process is doing all of that and the way that i like to segment it is kind of in three tiers right so like you said there's an invisible stage which you can call pre-development if you will right and there are expenses associated with doing that so all of those consultants that you're engaging to do that technical work if you don't have a fully integrated team with all of that on staff Typically, you don't see that much because there's a lot of risk with doing that, right? However, you have pre-development work, which includes um, architectural designs, you know, getting bids from contractors, uh, getting political approvals, uh, zoning, entitlement, all of those various things all are in the pre-dev work. And you typically need a budget associated with that work. That could be anywhere from a few hundred thousand to a few million dollars, frankly, depending on where you are in the country. Um, and then once you close, right? To close on a development project means all of the stars have aligned. You know, ultimately you're at the you're at the table and you can proceed with construction. So you probably have your permits in place, all of your financing is in order. Everyone is happy. That's a kumbaya moment. That's the that's the pinnacle of success for a developer um but from there you have to manage everything right because things can dip down the pinnacle means it's at the top and it absolutely can drop uh if you don't continue to keep it where it needs to be so um the next phase if you will from pre-development it then goes into construction so the construction phase is critically important because there's a tremendous amount of risk associated with putting these buildings up and it's just you know it it's it's a beast you know and if you don't have the proper people with the proper information proper historical knowledge, you know, you're you're taking a tremendous amount of risk, which is why developers are extremely um compensated for their work because frankly it's a lot of risk, right? And then post construction is a really happy time where you your building is stabilized, if you will. You've leased it out, you know, whatever the use is is there. And now there's kind of this asset management phase where even if you're not the property manager, you still may have to Uh, send information over to your lenders and your debt providers. You may have to ensure that your um, vacancy levels don't get too low, right? You have to ensure that the building is still operating in the way in which you expected it to. So that's kind of how I break it out. Pre-development, construction, asset management.
0: Perfect. Okay. Now let's talk about obstacles that you faced being a Black developer in Milwaukee I don't think it probably matters what city you're in when you're a black developer. That's fair. Uh, but we're going to talk about Milwaukee because that's where you are. Um, I've seen lots of posts lately about you know who your banking providers have been. We've talked endlessly on Clubhouse yeah. about some of the challenges around fundraising, capital raising, getting people to buy into your pro you know your project let's talk about that, because I think that for me is this is why I do this show because I want yes. people to realize that everyone's not getting the same experience yeah. when we go to the bank when we yeah. ask for for money
1: For sure um, like America that we've seen over the last few months, there's really two sides of it right, and I think it's no different for a lot of the industries in which we face that's just the reality. Um, development is hard enough I, I just talked about. Process and all of the risk associated with the developer. Um, but unfortunately, to your point, there's a whole nother layer of risk and, and issues and challenges. So let's get into those. Um, the first and number one thing that I believe is an issue, there's really two things that are major, major issues. One is access to capital, and two is the ability to make guarantees. And they kind of go hand-to-hand, but they don't. So let's, let's unpack it a little bit. So at each one of those phases, you kind of need a different set of uh, capital, if you will, right? The pre-development phase, you need pre-development capital. I said from 100000 you to know, a few hundred thousand to a few million even. Um, for a black developer, in order to get that type of capital is extremely difficult because of how risky it is. And I understand it, to be honest. I was a previous banker. I get how risky those loans are. Um, however, there are counterparts that don't necessarily look like us that have the ability to get them, even if their situation is the same. Granted, their situation is more than likely different because they have some generational wealth behind them and able to co-sign and or a relationship in the industry, typically. It's called the good old, good old boy network for a reason. So that's the first challenge. Assuming you get beyond that, but maybe being creative and and partnering with a developer that has access to pre-development expenses, the next challenge that you then face is that uh, what is the value that you are now bringing to the table? And how do you appropriately get compensated for that value? If you are, you know, not making pre-development expenses and you just found an opportunity, are you any different from a broker or, you know, a, a transactional uh, site finder, if you will? So what they try to do often is put you into that bucket and make you and give you a finder fee. Uh, let's say 5% or 10%, not even of the deal necessarily, it's just acquisition at times, right? It's like, oh, we'll give you a finder's fee. Thank you. We got it from here. But that doesn't create the environment necessary to breed additional developers and create additional wealth. Uh, in our community. So that's that's the next challenge. Assuming you get beyond that, what you then face is um, the guarantee portion of the business, right? So um, I specialize in affordable housing tax credits, and there's typically uh, a few guarantees that you have to make, like a tax credit guarantee that's ongoing for a 15 year period. There's an operating deficit guarantee. If the building doesn't perform in a way that your projections say they will, because ultimately real estate is just a set of projections, right? Like A pro forma isn't guaranteed. It's just what you think it's going to be. And all of these people have to agree to the same set of numbers and assumptions based off data that they're finding, et cetera. Um, But assuming that your project does not perform, you need to operate in deficit guarantee in order to be able to pay for some of that shortfall. Right. The project needs to be able to pay for it. Um, Well, you need to be able to pay for it on behalf of the project after the reserves and whatnot are already paid out. So that's the next piece. And then what you have is a construction guarantee, which is probably the most difficult to get. And regardless of development type, you face this. Uh, for a construction guarantee, what they typically want to see is, let's just say 30% of the total you know, construction amount. So you know, $20 million construction loan, you're looking at, that's a lot you know a, that's a, a pretty, lot pretty decent amount of money right there. So um in 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 net worth and then they want to see about 10% in liquidity. Oh my. So you know, do I have two million cash just sitting here? Does anyone have two million cash just sitting there that's you know aspiring to get into the game? So those are hurdles that you have to face and be really creative and getting behind. Um, so they have solutions, right? Let's talk about the solutions for a little bit. And I'll speed it up because I feel like I've been talking for a while, but um, some of the solutions, they have this like inclusionary uh, MBE, SBE, et cetera, et cetera, yes. which is a gift and a curse. If you want to be honest, you know, on one side, it creates access, if you will, to minorities to get into development. Um, but typically, that's more on the contractor side. You don't really see it in development development very much. But assuming uh. that's there, um, assuming there is a RFP that requires some type of, you know, because that's where cities are trending now. And I, I do appreciate them for doing that. But um, what happens if you get 25% or 20% or 15%, um, you may not make any guarantees. So that's really good. You may get, you know, 20% of $2 million or something, which is a nice you know, payment, but it's not generating wealth in that way. Do you get ongoing cash flow? Do you actually get the information to be able to learn this business and move it forward? Or are you really just enabled with a crutch to just continue to make, you know, a couple hundred thousand or a couple million dollars over the course of the next 10 years until you retire? And then that all of that information goes by the wayside because it's never been able to be passed down to the next. I mean, we've only been able to develop for the last. 20, 30, 40 years officially. I mean, there there have been one-off scenarios of people doing it before then, but for the most part, this is the first time where we can step to the table and, and be seen as equal, even though we don't have all of the same tools in our toolkit. So those are all the challenges that you face. And I think another solution is just to sub- really, they need to change their terms. They need to change... The way that they look at success, they need to change the way that they underwrite because it does not fit in our box. It's kind of like the standardized testing for African-Americans. I mean, it's already been proven that it's not necessarily conducive for us. So if based on the systemic racism that has put us to where we are in this country, they look at all of that and create a new criteria for the subsector of individuals, I think that would be fair. That would be equitable. Um, But until then, it's going to be an uphill battle.
0: Okay. So if I were a bank or a, you know, a lending institution, a capital institution, and, you know, I want to do an emerging developers program or um, some way to figure out how to, you know, create better equity, uh, inclusion, make it so that you are set up for success, so to speak, what ideas could you offer to still, cause you know, everything still, everyone still has to make money in all this, you know, how it is. Um, what are those ideas? And, and, you know, they have to probably be very dismantling of things. Cause I feel like none of this, like you said, it has to be totally different. You got to break it down because it's not working as is. So what does, what does that path forward look like?
1: great question. Uh I want to I want to tear it if we can. I think there's um step 1 which is what all of them do create an emerging managers program and just you know get a couple speakers in and they just teach this class. That's step 1. I think that's good, but it's not <laughs> nearly enough, right? Like that's for the people that are interested in development. Okay, now you have people that are actually in development assuming that there's some knowledge and expertise, whether you were to a different shop and just put up your own flag, or, you know, you've had this on a smaller scale and looking to scale up, or you've been able to identify opportunities and, and partner with deals uh, with, with partners that had expertise, assuming that those three scenarios are this person that we're speaking. of, What should be created um, is debt and equity. I think that we need to segment those. So on the debt side, uh, I really like what Lisk is doing. I'm going to shout them out. Uh, I met with Tiffany Derrick a few weeks ago. You should probably have her on the podcast as well, talking about what they're doing. But um, they received a lot of money from Netflix and PayPal and some of these, I don't know exactly, don't quote me, but I believe you know some of, uh, from the emergence of George Floyd, all of this, like, oh, let's give the Black community money. They received some of it. So they have an initiative um, or they have an entity that's kind of off list balance sheet from the way that I understand it. Hopefully I'm not saying too much, but um, based on this initiative, they're able to be creative with their financing and they can, you know, identify mission oriented projects or even not mission oriented projects, just projects done by black developers. That makes sense. It has to be underwritten. It goes to a, you know, investment committee, of people that, frankly, I'm I'm hoping and assuming look like us, right? That can yeah. understand those risks. But these funds are specifically for this group of people. It's not for minorities. It's not for women. No knock on any of that. But every single time I've seen a program, I'm from the CDFI space and realm, it starts off as a Black developer program. Then it goes to a minority program. Then it goes to a woman program. And ultimately, the people that benefit the most are the white women. And I love the fact that women are being, you know, propped up. But, however... You know, however, if this is intended for black developers um, by moving that goalpost and saying, oh, we can't find them or they're, they're not enough or they're not far enough to be able to do X, Y, Z, one, two, three, then you need to change those terms. And what those terms look like is, hey, black developers specifically, if you have a deal, no matter the type, we'll take a look. These are our lending parameters. We can do a low interest loan. We can bridge things. We can help with acquisition. We can help with pre-development, and we can move quickly. If you can do those things, that would be phenomenal. That's on the debt side, and then on the equity side, I think um, you know, loan and tax credits. You don't need equity at all. But there are deals that uh, you know, some mission-oriented developers are are trying to develop, but don't necessarily have the capital. Um, so, on the equity side of things, which is what I'm getting more into as I'm progressing in my career, um, launching a real estate private equity firm this year, uh, as well as a crowdfunding platform. I'll put that on hold a little bit, but um ultimately through that, I think they need to invest in black fund managers. I mean, if you want me to be honest, I probably know more black developers than anybody in the country. Like I I'm at least in the top ten of people that knows other black developers for sure. Because I go semi viral on occasion. We all find each other. I I intentionally seek them out. I built a clubhouse presence. I have an Instagram presence and I'm pretty active on like LinkedIn and various things like that. So when, whenever I smell a black developer, I'm like, yo, Hey, let's connect. Like, I love to meet you. Thank you for what you're doing in the space, et cetera. And we built meaningful relationships. So for them to go give capital to places that have no clue where these people are, just doesn't make sense. There's no way that the money will ever filter down because there's a, there's a, a disconnect in, in, in how that, that process, if step one is institutional equity, if step two is fund manager and step three is black developer. If the fund manager doesn't have that, then it's never going to make it to where it needs to yeah, be made. So. Basically
0: if, if the, if this, the, the folks that need to be connected to each other um, aren't connected or don't exist at mm-hmm. the, at the rate that they should, then you're not going to find, you're not going to find the people that you need in order to give them the awesome. opportunities that you need to give them. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, no, this is, I'm hearing you say everything that it's like a theme. It's like a theme in all of the industries, whether it's development, whether it's brokerage, whether it's, you know, um, con, you know, just l- moving it into leadership probably, ranks, yes, like yes. getting equity, like, Um, it's essentially wanting to keep people at a specific level where their, their opportunity for ownership is, is not as great. Their opportunity to make more money and to build in general, build, not just, you know, real estate, but just build, um, grow their business, grow their, you know, presence. Um, it's like, you're being capped, constantly being capped. For sure. Okay. For sure. ah, yeah, we've got so much work to do. I read, <laughs> I read an article um, that McKinsey did uh, with the Racial Equity Institute last night, and it basically went over um, just lots of issues in the private sector around what needs to happen for uh, change to happen within a lot of these private sector organizations. And I mean, it, it's a recurring theme of you need to be positioning people to succeed and you need to not yeah. be, um, giving, giving the excuse of we can't find them. Uh, I think I read like 56% of the population of African-Americans are in the South And then when you look at the breakdown, it's like 17% in the Midwest, 17% in the Northeast, 8% Mm. in the West Coast. And so when you look at the growth, the places where the growth is happening, if it's not in alignment with where the people are, that explains a lot of the gaps as to why certain, um, like you said, things are just not connecting. Uh, And so it's very fascinating because I think there's multiple layers to this. It's nuanced, it's complex, it's not an easy fix. I don't think anyone thinks it is, but I think that what you're saying is break it down. Look at what those areas are that you're having those gaps and really look into why those are there. Put the right people in place so that they can help you make and build the connections because it's happening, it's happening. We're here. Like, it's not like, oh, you can't find us. Uh as a recruiter, that's like one of my biggest pet peeves is when they say we can't find the talent. I'm like, I sit amongst the talent every day. I find the talent every day. Like the talent the is here.
1: excuse.
0: It's it's just not it's not enough anymore to say that. Um now the question Great. is, what are you doing to make it equitable so that people have access? That's, that's a it.
1: fair question. Yeah, that's a fair question. And and who I would add in who is governing the decisions behind that statement that you're going to make to that question, the answer who's, who's actually governing that because if it's the same people that put us in the position in which we're in, it's just lip service at that point, you know, like what are you doing and who do you have around to ensure that this will be effective?
0: Okay. Um, so, I like to try to end things on a positive because I don't want people to feel like so disheartened or so disillusioned because I think there's um, in this process though, there are wins, right? There are things that happen that you're like, this would never have happened if I wasn't here to help to create this. So I want to talk about the wins. (laughs) Okay. I want to talk about the, the projects that you've worked on the communities that you've impacted, the things that is why you wake up every day to do this, you know, why you still feel like, I be rule, I'm here, like, this is why I show up to do this work. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, the why, the why, the why, the why. Uh, I think the wins come from that desire. Uh, well, the first thing, I'll just say this, I I went through, you know, Everyone goes through their phases. Like, I I did have a dark time in my life where it was, like, really challenging shortly after college, like, around that college time. And I I created this thing called the Success Manual, and I just, like, studied articles and books and YouTube videos and interviews of all of the people that I admired. And I found two things throughout that journey and that process, that every single person, one, had um, really an amazing work ethic. Like they worked hard, like really, really hard at their craft. And then two, they had an unwavering confidence in themselves. Like every single person had that. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, you know, that's kind of the foundation for what I needed if I want to be successful. And throughout that journey since then, over the last like eight, nine years or so, um, I realized that the confidence in yourself actually comes from the work that you put in. It kind of feeds itself. It's super circular. It literally feeds itself. So for me, uh, I work extremely hard because I know that I am making impact. Um, even before I was credited for impact, I knew that the work that I was putting in behind the scenes was going to materialize in a way that it has and will in the way that it will, because this is just the beginning. Right. And we know that we know we're working towards a much larger goal. So, if getting to that goal is going to impact the entire culture, then it's a disservice to my culture if I'm not doing what I need to do to make that impact. So for me, getting up every day is literally just a process of of putting in the work. And then it gives me the confidence to be able to execute on the very things in which I've been studying for the last however 10 years. Uh, and and that's that's really like what I do it for. I think the next generation of, of youth and people from the inner city, whether they're my age, younger, older, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm still, I'm 32 years old. I'm really young in this profession. Like, if you are 35 listening to this, you have more than enough time to get into the commercial real estate space. and you will still be young. You know, like, it's it's an old profession. So, um, I just encourage those that are listening and encourage those that are watching my journey and pad to realize that um, Time is, time is really important, right? But age isn't necessarily a factor. You have to worry about your risk and what your tolerance is. Everyone can be a developer, you know, all of that stuff. But if you have a dream that you want to, like, achieve, I think that understanding yourself and, you know, surrounding yourself by people that complement the things that you don't do well, you can pretty much achieve anything within the boundaries of, of what you are good at. So can I go to the NBA? No, I won't be LeBron James. Uh, will I ever be president? Maybe. I have no political aspirations. I don't think I will ever do it, but I would never tell myself that I can't because I truly believe um, you can do pretty much anything you put your mind to when you... We saw Trump in office, so anybody,
0: <laughs> <laughs> anybody
1: could make it in that thing, for real. That, that should give, frankly, Black people the most hope ever. But also the worst because that just shows white privilege, if you will. But either way, we're not gonna the positives. I truly believe that the impact is happening. I see it. Uh, people are reaching out to me all the time. I see it on Instagram, Clubhouse, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, thank you everyone for the support. Uh, but my first development that I ever did, I'm like, yo, this is a building that I've created. It'll live there for long after I'm gone. Um, it's affordable housing. What well, workforce and attainable. But when I was at my groundbreaking, something really, like, happened to me. We were doing our walkthroughs. So wanted to, you know, spotlight a couple of uh, the residents and they had people queued up. One of the residents in particular um, told a story about how prior to moving in, he lived a few blocks up in a place called Tent City, which is just where, you know, all of the tents gather under the bridge. Um, and he talked about how he wasn't able to you know, pr- receive health care because he didn't have an address. But now that he has an address, I mean, he's paying 300 or so dollars a month for a one bedroom with stainless steel appliances and everything, um, he can now receive his health care. And that really stuck with me because I hadn't thought about it in that way. I've never, I, w- I wasn't that deep in my understanding around the impact that I was making. Um, so that, I, I really appreciated that. And then, you know, there were 200 plus jobs created from, that first development that I did and 200 plus from this one that I'm working on, it'll be 300 or so from the following, uh, the, you know, next one or two or three each year I'm creating hundreds of jobs. And 40% of that is going towards people from the community, people that are, you know, look like us. And, and I take a lot of pride in it. And, and 20, at least 25%, historically I've been over 30, um, percent of, the contracts on the project are going towards the same sector and group of people and the businesses, business owners of these very people. So, I love it. That's why I, keep I love
0: that. that. I love that. Yeah, we don't think about who's going to move in after. Sometimes just getting the project done feels like such a win. That yes. once you get the actual thing built and now people are moving in and you hear the stories of what they've had to, you know, manage and and encounter. To have an address, um, you realize how much bigger your work is, other than Absolutely. just yourself. Uh, I think that's the beauty of real estate. I mean, for me, I love seeing things that weren't there—something that you saw on a plan, something that was just you know a drawing—and then next thing you know, oh my gosh, it's here! Yes. Uh, it's like the ultimate manifestation, as they say, right? It really uh, is visioning and seeing it come to fruition. Uh, and I think there's very few things in our lives that are very tangible like that, where you can really, I mean, really see it and then do it. Um, and so I think for me, when I hear development and I meet developers, there's just this, um, this, this visioning building manifestation piece that I think, we may not necessarily call it that or see it like that, but that's what it is.
1: Absolutely. I agree. I agree 100%. It's the, um, the mm-hmm. real life version of it, right? Like you, you can, it's, it's a material see. Like when you work out, you see that. You see that change. You see your body shift. In most professions, like if you're doing things on moving paper around, you may not see the impact across the country or the world, wherever your impact is. But like to your point, we're creating something physical. So it's unique
0: yeah so let's talk about the projects that you're working on and what else is on the horizon for you
1: yeah so I know you've got pro-
0: like a few things and I was on your website last night I was like oh he's got <laughs> a lot of stuff happening
1: most of my stuff isn't even on my website yet <laughs> <Which is> crazy. <laughs> so my first project was 60 units uh, affordable housing right again a mile and a half from where I was raised. My next project, 89 units, uh, Litech, both of those were 9% deals, six blocks up from that first one. So 149 units between the two in my neighborhood that's facing gentrification. I'm really proud of that. I then started to spread my wings a little bit. I have 150 units in Madison, Wisconsin, which will include a 24,000-square-foot grocery store, um, which is led by a Black and Latino woman operator. So really, really excited to be partnering with her on that, Luna's Groceries. Um, and then also a social determinant as a health center that we're partnering with the SSM Health on. So that that's a phenomenal deal that's really inclusive to all the members uh of the community and in the the current grocery store that's there, the only one in the area is shutting down. So this project will provide relief to an area that was potentially gonna be a food desert. So um that's that one 79 unit project downtown in Milwaukee on the river. I take a lot of pride in putting affordable housing or workforce housing in areas that are kind of market rate. Uh, I want to, you know, create sustainable communities by having mixed incomes. And I think that's the key. Uh, So those are my kind of Milwaukee based deals. I have a 10 acre site in Milwaukee um, that I had to re re re-examine if you will, because of the pandemic uh, Northwest side of Milwaukee there as well. So those are like my Wisconsin deals Just signed up for a project that I'll be kind of co developing on, 74 unit in Ocono, Wisconsin. That's a preservation deal with the Housing Authority, a RAD deal, as well as 4% tax credits, rural. Uh, So that's all the Wisconsin stuff. And then I live in DC. I go back and forth between DC and Milwaukee, looking at a project here. Um, But depending on how some of the other things materialize, I may have to pass on it. I just came across a really big opportunity in Atlanta. Um, If it comes through, it would be 130-acre master development plan with a pretty prominent developer in Atlanta. Uh, total project cost was like $2 billion. So I'll know within the next month or so whether or not that's moving forward. Uh, what else? Um, probably an equity firm. So I got a couple of people that, frankly, I met off Clubhouse. And we've been talking and looking at launching our own kind of flagship shop. Uh, responded to the City Bank's program. Uh, they're they're putting out twenty five to forty million dollar checks. I think BMO has one as well. Um, and I'm meeting with them sometime next week. So, looking at you know really really raising funds and and connecting it to mission oriented projects and people that are doing good work that that frankly are underfunded. Um, I have a commercial real estate crowdfunding platform that's on the horizon, which enables millennials to invest in real estate for as little as $500. Um, That's going to be phenomenal. And it's really kind of aligned with some of the same targeted strategies that my private equity firm would do. Uh, And then the last thing in talks with a really big uh, venture capital firm and and two potential co-founders on a retail investor kind of development opportunity that uh, uses AI to create the highest and best use of a particular site and give you uh, real-time knowledge on, on whether or not it's something that you should develop, invest in, or or try to sell. So that's really, really, really interesting. And um, we'll know about that in the next month or so as well, whether or not the investors are interested in us kind of merging and, and moving forward with that.
0: And so you sleep When?
1: um you know uh, when when when
0: i'm later and when it's later and i can sleep right oh my gosh that is a full plate brandon
1: (laughs) i'm striving for greatness i really want to you know my goal is to truly impact the community and create access create exposure and um also become a billionaire you know and give it back
0: i'm here for it i am here for it Uh, I, I'm only giving you a hard time. I know I'm someone that don't even talk about, I shouldn't talk about other people's sleep when I look at my own, but, um, I am, I am just happy to hear all of this is going on because I think, I mean, when I met you, I was like, he is like on it, um, (laughs) ambitious. I mean, I'm, I'm here for people who are, you know, just doing it. Not I spend
1: a lot of time on Clubhouse as well. That's
0: not not probably. apologizing for doing it, doing it. I'm
1: not getting no. out
0: here. Look, like, it's
1: our time. We deserve it. And we're about to come get it, you know, and, and that's why not? There's enough room for everyone. There's literally enough space for everyone. Did you you probably know this, but I'll share it for the people if you don't mind. Uh 40% of all non-home real estate, commercial real estate, if you will, is owned by 1% of the country. And 82%, over 82% is owned by the top 10%. So literally 90% of the country, including all of the developers my size, most of the black developers, but everyone, Hispanic, Latino, women, it doesn't matter, even most of the white ones, together. And we only own 17% of the real estate in the country. So there's no reason why that should be the case. And we need to democratize the process so more people can participate in a effective way um, in assets that have been effect like underwritten and not at the expense of, of um, as long as the business plan isn't a, at the expense of the retail investor, I think it's fine. There are some that are not, but that's for another conversation.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. This has been so good. I mean, yeah. We're, when you're like, you know, going to need an agent to be contacted. Uh, I'm going to say, check out, check out Brandon. Cause this is, this is the Brandon before the Brandon. The yes, Brandon. exactly. Uh, so Thank I'm you. excited for you. Uh, I, I'm excited for all that you have going on. I am full support of everything that you're doing. Um, he's coming from such a heart centered place. You guys, you know, you know, I never bring on people who are, you know, always just about the money. I mean, the money is a part of it, but I think yeah. social impact, making a difference in communities, making a difference in people's lives, building wealth, passing on, you know, that to your future generations. I mean, this is what it's all about. And so I'm just happy to have you on. Thank you for making the time. Uh, Then final closing, uh, for me, I always ask two things. Uh, One thing is a fill-in-the-blank question where I say, inclusion and equity drive my work. And then you complete the sentence. So let's start this again. Inclusion and equity drive my work.
1: Because coming from the worst place for Black people in America, I realized the importance of it. And seeing the disruption, seeing the impact that my grandfather, who was a street pharmacist, had on my family, um, seeing, seeing how everyone wanted to be that, uh in a in a market that was not necessarily this is just supposed to be a sentence i can speed it do follow.
0: no this is you you've spitting
1: uh, whatever okay. you want yeah. we can
0: go back and it's whatever it means to you it's not okay there's no there's no rules on this
1: <laughs> yeah all right cool 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 so yeah i mean seeing my seeing my grandpa grandfather's impact in a in a market that wasn't necessarily uh legal you know uh and everyone following in those footsteps I'm trying to leave that legacy on my family in a similar way, in a legal way. Uh, and it's critically important for me to be able to break down some of those barriers before I pass the mantle to, you know, the, the next generation of, of Brandon's and Garland's and all of us.
0: Yeah. So I know you are still fairly young, but I think you're very ambitious and you're, I think you're at your own full circle right now. Oh, so what does life, what does life look like coming full circle in this moment to you?
1: Happiness, that's always the that's always the key. Uh that's that's the first thing that came to my mind. Like being happy, being safe, spending time with family, friends, and um being able to really live out my dreams. I think, you know, I'm in love with the process and, and that's one of the things that's really important. I know that I'm gonna be all that I wanna be. And I know it's gonna be challenges along that way, but I'm also very happy with the process of of becoming that person. So yeah, it's full circle now and it will be full circle in five and it'll be full circle in 10. Um, and that's fine. We'll, we'll see where I am at those times, but I'm, I'm more than happy with where I am now. And I'll continue to each day I strive for the same place. So that's full circle with Brandon.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, so I am going to put in the show notes, all the places people can connect with you. We're going to, of course, include your clubhouse details, your website, <laughs> your LinkedIn, uh, sure. you know, all of the the great places to find you. Um, thank you again for your time. I appreciate you. I cannot wait to see all of these wonderful plans you have come into fruition. Um, and let's keep driving. Let's keep going for it.
1: That's the only way. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's keep collaborating. And thank you for the time. Thank you for having me. Hopefully I can bring some uh, eyes to your platform and what you have going on as well. And Anyone that came from me posting this link, make sure you follow the other episodes and watch those because the other people are just not t- just as, if not more talented than I. So make sure you watch all of the episodes uh, thank you. on this podcast.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. What a fantastic conversation with Brandon Rule. I enjoyed speaking with him because he's the next generation. He is the next generation of developer, billionaire, according to him. I'm here for it. And I think that when we hear from the next generation, it's going to look different. It's going to feel different. Um, And my, I think, hope for us in looking at the next generation is that they are starting to question a lot of the systems and starting to dismantle a lot of the systems. And so Uh, Our conversation today, there were a few things that he mentioned that I wanted to highlight. Um, He said there were kind of three prongs, but we're going to focus on the two major challenges um, for development. And of course, the first is access to capital. Um, I think that is, if you go back to my first episode with Lynn king Tolliver, she said the same thing, access to capital, and she was on the private equity side and So this is going to be a reoccurring theme, and I'm sure if you continue to listen um, and go back, I think also Colette English Diction, she talked about access to capital. It's just an ongoing theme that you're going to hear um, in terms of people being able to have what they need in order to build the things that they want to see. And then the thing that he mentioned, which you don't hear about often, is the guarantees. Uh, 30% of the construction loan and then 10% in liquidity That is a lot of money to have just sitting somewhere. And I don't think that development is supposed to be easy, but I feel like with guarantees like that, it's damn near impossible for people to feel like they have access to this. Um, Development is huge. When we look at communities, how they're built, who builds them, who's living in them, Uh, I think the big part of development that is impacting so much right now is realizing that mixed income communities do better. Um, Equity and people of all different backgrounds living together, again, diversity is better. Um, And so in order to know how to serve a community, um, you need to know what those needs are. Takes me also back to a conversation we had with Marimba Malians. Um, There's just so much in this episode And so I want to make sure that you all are like going back and listening to some others and then just listening to what he's saying. It really just resonates. Uh, the other thing that he said, which stood out was, um, in researching success factors, something that he calls his success manual, the two things that he finds to be what set successful people apart is having an amazing work ethic, uh, continuing to understand that it's going to take time, it's going to be work involved, and you just have to attack the work and know that this is what you're going to have to do in order to succeed. And then the second part of that was unwavering confidence. And by having unwavering confidence, it means you realize that you have to continue to work in order to build that confidence because by doing it, you realize you can do it. By doing it, you realize that you have what you need to do it at a high level. And so it feeds itself as he was saying. And so a lot of that, you can apply that. And I think you see it probably most clearly when you look at not only business people, but you see it when you look at like Olympic athletes and really high performing um, athletes, when you look at people who are really going for it and making this, what they do. Uh, And so what he said is right on. And then the last thing that he said was um, understanding that what you're doing with development is more than just building something. It's who gets impacted by it. And then looking at how that changes someone's life. I don't think we sometimes think about that. And that is a huge part of it. Um, This is the social impact piece. This is the piece where it's really important that you have people who are from that neighborhood in that area involved in the process. So that gentrification isn't the reality. Um, And so I just enjoyed connecting with Brandon, hearing so much of what he had to say and um, just want you all to continue to keep your options open and look at what's out there because there's just so much. And, uh, Thank you again for taking the time to listen to Full Circle. Uh, we've got a lot of episodes in the bank right now. And so if you haven't gone back and listened to some, please take a listen and take some time to go back. Um, thank you so much. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Full Circle with Garland. And if you'd like to be a guest, go to garlandfuller.com. Thank you for listening and sharing your time with me. I hope this next week helps you to recognize the full circles in your own life. Bye-bye.